you guys. It's Andy's girls. It's AG 500. That's right. Math is so tough. So I went from 499 to 499.5 to 499 and three quarters because I decided that for Andy's Girls 500, following many AG ideas, hopes, dreams, that AG 500 would be, I think, the first ever clip 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 episode of AG looking back at some favorite moments. Now I solicited ideas from AGs on IG, um, many of which are represented in the clips selected. And this was an undertaking. (laughs) Let us all remember 500 because I don't know that I'm going to do this ever again. (laughs) Because attempting to go through just remembering what has even happened over 500 episodes has been really tough. So this is not intended to be an all-encompassing look at the 500 episodes of AG, but truly some favorite moments throughout the course of the last, oh my God, math is hard, seven-ish years? How nuts is that? I mean, there have been so many evolutions of Andy's Girls, but the thing that I find really special about it is that While opinions change, the way I'm even communicating things change, certainly guests change over the course of the last several years, the show itself, I think, has stayed pretty consistent from the start, from AG1 to now, which is this thing that I kind of make an LOL about, um, the idea that it's a combination of C-SPAN and Ayanla Fix My Life, that it's truly a show about the psychology behind The Real Housewives and how our own experiences influence our interpretations of what we're watching on screen, and sometimes a lot of conversation about what happens off. So... I'm so thankful to all of you for being part, (laughs) again, of the first and possibly last time I will ever do this, (laughs) this kind of look back. Now, when thinking about the moments that I wanted to share and celebrate and think about, um, there are so many different emotions that came out. But obviously, we have to start at the beginning. So I thought, let's all just... Take a moment and hear the wonderful lyrical. Um, what am I, what's this voice that I'm doing? What's happening? Happy Monday. Um, just really taking a seat and um, starting at the beginning with AG1. Now, I sort of thought up Andy's girls by thinking of everything but AG. I knew that I wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't know about what. So there, at some point in the graveyard of notes in my uh, notes app in my phone, there exists a list from several years ago of like, here's ideas and here's the name. And I think I should go off the name of the podcast and that'll influence what it was that I wanted to talk about. And I spoke to a friend who worked in strategy. And I remember we would have these sessions of like talking about things and what should this show be. And I realized, honestly, that it sounded like work, number one, which I certainly did not want to do. And number two, that really what I wanted to talk about was Housewives, that there were all these incredible shows that talk about, you know, politics and society and life and all of that is all fine and good. Often those influence episodes and conversation on AG. But at the end of the day, all I wanted to do was talk about Housewives. At that time, I was working full time as an event consultant producing galas and 
small cocktail parties, whatever it was, for electeds, for individuals um, here in New York City, and had produced a gala for several years for a graduate school of journalism here in New York. And they had a class on how to start a podcast. Now, I don't remember if I actually took the class, but I remember seeing a flyer for the class. And I thought, that sounds like a good idea. And um, a colleague lent me his small little recorder, and that is, in fact, what we used for the first many, many, many episodes until we reached this sort sort of generational point of going from hashtag old audio to new audio, and then new audio was constantly, constantly updated. And in fact, if you've been listening to the last several episodes of Andy's Girls, there has been another iteration of new audio that I think has been a magical update. Um, So I, you know, invited over a friend who I went to uh, college with, Damian Bellino. We had gone to school together at Marymount Manhattan and had engaged in a lot of Bravo discourse on Facebook, May Its Memory Be a Blessing. And I said to Damian, why don't you come over and we're just going to press record. I have no idea what this is going to be like, and we're just going to kind of play it by ear. And that's how the show started and, and kind of took hold. I remember the first day, maybe? I don't even know if this is right. First couple days, we had like 400 downloads. And I thought, how is that possible on the face of the universe that I would have 400 downloads of this thing that was just done in my living room sitting on the old people's people's couch, just kind of chatting, shooting the shit, arguing and, and everything else. And that's what happened. And after... God, I don't know how long it was, several months maybe, Um, Damien kind of said, listen, I don't have the time to devote to this. I don't think I can move forward with the show. Completely understandable. And, you know, working on a podcast when we didn't know what we were doing, in addition to work stuff, where I'm sure we were just trying to figure out what we were doing, was a huge, huge endeavor and commitment. And I remember at that point, I think it was in the 20s, like AG 20-something. At that point, I had to decide for myself, okay, so should I start something new? Is there something that I want to work on? And I really thought about it. And it's a point that I think many people can appreciate of going through in their lives of like, okay, we're being told a no or this door is closing. Do we open a window or do we just ourselves reopen the door? And I decided on the latter. I told Damien, you know, I'm I'm actually in interested in continuing this and and seeing what happens. And that was 20 episodes in, for better or worse. Andy's Girls could have ended then. But I decided, no, this is something I like to do. I enjoy it. And it's a way to utilize my voice um, that's different from what I'm doing for work, but really connected to what I love to do in life. And you know, not that anybody's asking my opinion on this, but if you're thinking about putting a, a podcast together, a show together, or a change of direction in your life, the the suggestion and recommendation that I would make, the thing that I have to keep reminding myself is like, just move toward what it is that you genuinely enjoy doing. And maybe you'll figure out a way to monetize it. For me, that has been genuinely a recent in the last couple years um, ability to do so. I did not have advertising on the podcast for the first many, many, many years, both because I didn't understand how to do it and I was nervous about whether or not that would change the conversations happening on the pod and also the mechanics of doing it. Um, But look for the thing that you really enjoy doing. What's the thing that you do when you kind of need to disconnect or connect with people in a different way. It might feel like a quote unquote kind of like puff 
not like a puff piece, but sort of the idea of this thing that might feel lighter than what you're supposed to do, but you're supposed to do what you want to do. And I think that's been for me, the most rewarding part of this is to have conversations with people and almost subvert the idea of, um, of talking about Bravo or making a, a job, a career even, out of talking about Bravo instead of it being a, a, like, what do you do in your free time? This is something I do in my free time and the not so free time. And talking to people who work in a variety of different areas and really owning the fact that this is something that brings me joy. This is something that I love to do and I'm still figuring out some of the mechanics of it, but it continues to grow, which I'm so appreciative of. So as the pod continues to kind of grow and evolve, the thing that has been so sort of difficult, one of the reasons that I've pushed off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really finalizing all these clips and going through episode, episode, episode to uh, to figure out moments that I wanted to include was the realization that my uh, my voice has changed, my opinions have changed, the way I communicate about things have changed, jokes that I made as a one-off several years ago I would never think of doing now, the way that I discuss what it is that I, I want to share on the pod has changed in a number of ways. Shout out therapy for both like opening me up but also inserting boundaries into the mix as well. There have been so many different iterations of AG that uh, have led me almost spiral <laughs> a little bit when I'm thinking, when I'm listening to really old episodes and like, what did I say? And I meant what? But that's also kind of the joy of this. It's the normalized changing your mind based on new information. Also giving yourself a little bit of grace for however it was that you wanted to express yourself years ago. But but honestly, the shock of, oh my God, I stand who for how long and what? And I was so mad at this. It's been um, kind of incredible to just kind of go through the AG archive, something that I I really don't do. Um, and uh, so I thank, I thank all of you for enabling AG to get to this point um, for this kind of look back. And what better way to look back than starting with AG1, the beginning, um, when Damien and I sat down in my apartment with that little recorder that all of you guys used to get so upset about, understandably so, I have to tell you, and listening to these old episodes, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Um, so we just kind of started at at the very beginning. And uh, this is uh, a little part, the beginning part of the first episode of Auntie's Girls. Okay, first off, I can't believe this is happening. I am so excited. I'm thrilled to be here. Are you so thrilled to be at my Upper East Side mansion estate? This is just like Sonia's townhouse. <laughs> which is beautifully located next to a parking lot, from what I've heard. <laughs> I think it's just the most special of things. I think that makes about that's, that makes sense. Um, I feel like the Countess here tonight. Um, <laughs> Do you? Uh-huh. Am I your new fiancé? <laughs> Did we meet 10, years, 10 minutes ago and you gave me a ring? Uh, um, so, Real of New York premiere this week. And... Um, was it everything that you hoped it would be? It was everything I hoped it would be in that it was a new episode that I hadn't seen until I watched it. And then I watched it three times. And as you know, I am a housewife super fan. I am, I couldn't be more devoted. I have been known to discuss housewives in professional meetings. I remember when Brooks airs <laughs> first released a statement saying, like, 
I have cancer-ish. Like, don't worry about it. No big deal. Like, I Google image test results, but like, it's because I really have it. And I found out during a meeting at work and screamed in the meeting and said, I'm so sorry. It was like a senior staff meeting. I was like, we just need to talk about this for a second because I need to talk it up because it was so important in my life to talk about that. Since day one, since day one, since Orange County, which I didn't at the time when it started, didn't 100% understand what was happening, except that it was supposed to be a cheaper version of Desperate Housewives. And then it just took off and I was in it. There have been so many different kinds of conversations that have existed on AG, but the one that really is one that I think about when people ask me what Andy's Girls is about. Um, this conversation is one I point to most most frequently and consistently. Episode 240, where Crystal Kung Ming Koff and I sat down at her hotel room in New York City. She was in town to um, record Watch What Happens Live. And uh, Rob joined us later on in the interview. You can hear me scream when he um, tells me information I absolutely did not know that he created Ursula. I'm, I'm recording this special episode in the Clawfist. Directly behind my head is an illustration of Ursula that Rob drew for me after um, our conversation on AG, which is something I treasure. And when there are moments in which I feel down, I truly think to myself, big Ursula energy. <laughs> like, let us harness the spirit of our favorite small business owner, <laughs> Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Um, but circling back to Crystal, um, it was to my understanding, it sounded like a train just went by. I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, To my understanding, uh, this might be the first conversation that's happened maybe between a podcaster and a housewife in talking about their shared experiences with uh, eating disorder and, and body dysmorphia. It was something that happened, I think, genuinely because I knew prior to recording this episode that Crystal was an AG listener. And so I knew that she had an understanding of the kinds of conversations that happen on AG. The fact that this isn't a recap podcast, we really kind of go into the nitty gritty. And I certainly wanted to follow her lead. However, she wanted to talk about her experiences. At, at, at this point, this is, um, you know, dealing with the blowback her first season. We're talking, this combo happened a couple years ago, but talking about um, what she has learned as a result of joining Housewives and how that has impacted her ongoing journey with having um, an ED and body dysmorphia and just kind of like sharing our own stories with each other and being really vulnerable, uh, both of us getting verklempt at points, certainly a very emo kind of talk was, um, for me, really grounding and honestly rewarding that there was the opportunity to connect with someone who I enjoyed watching on TV every week and certainly discussing on the pod, but getting into our own experiences with having eating disorders and how that shaped my experience as a viewer and content creator when it came to the whole uproar of, you know, using certain words to um, describe how she felt when Sutton walked in on her half naked during her first cast trip. And, um, talking about the use of the word violated in all of that and um, having a really vulnerable convo that this is kind of like peak AG in terms of it being an episode that included shared vulnerability and also a feeling of kind of honestly sort of like emotional safety with each other. Um, And I was so thankful to her for coming on. She really got to the point. I did not know what direction 
the pod was going to go on. Sometimes uh, Crystal came on the podcast, um, which was just kind of us figuring out the mechanics. I didn't go through anybody on her team for that. There are occasions in which I will go through potentially the network or someone's publicist or someone's assistant or someone on someone's team who doesn't have a title but seems to do an awful lot of work. Um, And in those circumstances, I've been asked before for like, can you give me specific questions? To which I say, I cannot. No, thank you. both because I can't really hold to it. It's not that kind of show. And also it's it's very much stream of consciousness, consciousness and goes off the energy of how we are in the room or the Zoom um, and can go in any number of directions. So I, I wouldn't want to, you know, um, make a person think that it's going to be about points X, Y, Z if we uh, kind of meander and on a different route. And so with Crystal, I wasn't sure what direction this would go in. And I really kind of went off of her lead and was really so thankful for how she opened up. So this is just a little look at episode 240 with Crystal Kungminkoff, which was recorded here in New York City. Um, and here we go. You know, there is a level of people just don't know. If you haven't experienced it, well, I you may just not is. know. Yeah, if you don't know. And I I don't begrudge anyone who can't connect with that because there's so many things that I can seemingly feel look cold or like I'll say that. Like if I haven't experienced it, if I don't know anyone with it, I I want to know. I want to learn. But if you don't, if you've never had anything, it's it's hard to connect, you know. But I did get a lot of messages after from people who have eating disorders who very much understood my experience. And and maybe you're right. Like like you said, like people, there's there's a wall. So the people that don't want to understand how I felt, um, maybe it's uncomfortable for them to talk about it, you know, or really understand what an eating disorder is and body dysmorphia. Um, yeah, it's it's so, it's, you know, it's like all my friends who have, I think most people have, especially women, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're like, oh, I wish I enjoyed looking like that 10 years, you know, when I was 25 mm-hmm. and I was thought, you know, and it's so weird to watch it so recently, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, Oh my god! Like I, I can look at myself now on TV. Like, oh, I look good there, mm-hmm. but I felt terrible. I so get, and I, I, I still feel yeah. terrible now, even though I know that. Like, I can't connect them. Mm. I cannot connect it. I feel physically uncomfortable all the time, and it's not. It's not like so hard on me because I think it's been so long as you said, from childhood, yeah. that it's not debilitate. It's like I've I've come to a comfort mm-hmm. of being discomfort, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is probably a messed up thing. No, I I, I'm nodding. I'm like, it definitely helped me during COVID. I was like, oh, well, here's my special buddy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's so complicated yep. and nuanced mm-hmm. and... Only if you can experience, and, and and I even got some DMs from people, not too many, but like, that's not, you don't have a real eating disorder. I do. Oh my God. But I, and I write, but, and I respond to those people, you know, even like, because I said, this is my experience, whatever I'm talking yeah. about, is my experience, like I very much have one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been to a lot of therapy about it. Um, But I think for, just for me, it's like, the lesson learned back to the original question of watching back is like 
I would love to, if I can, if I can learn to just one inch closer to be more comfortable mm -hmm. by, by watching the show and just keep processing that experience of remembering how I feel, watching it now, remember, if I just keep going through that, maybe luckily I can get one step further to mm -hmm. feeling okay, which will help me with my eating disorder. Because I don't want it anymore. And I know oh. it will be with me forever. Mm -hmm. I know that it's a long-term thing. Um, but just one step closer, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's something that Dr. K and I work on a lot, which is like she hates when I talk about having a quote-unquote eating disorder. Cause she's like... You know, it's a it's it is what it is. But I you're you don't that is not in the personality identification process. Eating disorder is not one of the letters chosen. Mm. And it's some so often the ways that I think about myself start with that because it starts with your physical being. It starts with like, are you comfortable in your body or how do you treat your body as a reaction to outside circumstances or the ways that you cross boundaries with yourself with with your physical being that are actually a form of coping. Right. And it's understanding that it's like a weird thing when you think about the phrase disordered eating because yes, it is technically and accurately disordered eating, but it's uh, a perspective that was based for many people in the idea of needing a sense of control and it's totally control based yeah it's control based and it's like what's the best way to think about this in terms of without feeling like I'm minimizing myself or anyone else like the idea of understanding that you know I'm always going to have a reaction to circumstance and sometimes the reaction is healthy and sometimes it's not and for a long time and I still do this I put up real serious boundaries with people where I'm like don't tell me you're going to X or Y. Don't talk to me about how you feel about your body because I'm afraid it's going to trigger me. And what I've been trying to work through in my own life, or if somebody says something negative about, or if I think they're going to say something mm -hmm. negative, whatever that is, or God forbid, swiping right, like so <laughs> many different areas. But in the idea of, you know, thinking about the maintenance of boundaries, what is to me probably healthier in the long run, or at least, you know, selfishly more interesting is to think about the, okay, instead of laying out these boundaries and spinning out when they get crossed, like be okay with something, with someone pushing up against them. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not so black and white, which is I think why I, with Andy's Girls, I like love to live, I lap up living in the world of gray because life is not actually it does not allow for that kind of regimented thinking because a line will always be crossed. Someone doesn't know when they're interacting with me what my boundaries are. Right. And if the first thing they know is me expressing the boundaries to them, I'm already creating a boundary and like getting to know this person. Right. So for your choice to go on a reality show like Beverly Hills, like the housewives generally, which in many ways is all about the crossing of boundaries, yeah. knowing your own journey as a human person and what you're going through, it's like an incredibly brave act. And to see what your experience was in Tahoe and even your experience in defending the words that you used for how you felt and your refusal to apologize 
four words, I found it really impactful, especially because there's an element of tone policing where people focus on, I felt a certain way when a word was used and not, why did she feel a certain way to begin with? Mm -hmm. And that episode really gets into um, so much more. Um, And Crystal and I have become really friendly uh, as a result of recording this episode. And um, I think we see things on Housewives maybe in a similar way, even with uh, very different opinions of, of what's taking place. Obviously, she being there <laughs> when the episodes are filmed might have a different um, perspective than I would as a viewer, content creator, podcast, or whatever else. Uh, when I was in LA after BravoCon, I um, uh, went to Crystal and Rob's house for drinks, uh, where I absolutely spilled wine on their people's couch. So that was a fun moment for me. Thank God it was white wine, because that could have gone in any number of ways had it been red. Um, but thanks so much, to Crystal for um, for what was for me at least a really meaningful episode. Speaking of meaning, um, AG has given me the excuse to uh, have a reason to connect with um, people who I've looked up to for a number of years. And if you had asked me at the beginning of AG who would be on my short list, on my dream list of uh, guests on Andy's Girls, one of those names, certainly a very small list would have included Roxanne Gay. So imagine my shock and delight when Roxanne guested on episode 216. It was incredibly meaningful. I was so nervous, like not even, yes, I was certainly nervous, but like also excited. I was just genuinely so excited to talk to Roxanne, who's an incredibly accomplished author and writer, um, talk about content creation, a a culture commentator. I would highly recommend all of her books, um, which are, uh, I think at least one of which is in the Clawfist and others are spread throughout my my home. Um, It was a genuine, genuine thrill and delight to get the chance to talk all things housewives and guilty pleasures. The idea of how it is that um, we as viewers Um, appreciate our own interests, including in Housewives, and whether or not that should come with guilt. So um, here's a little bit of that conversation on episode 216 with the queen, Roxanne Gay. That's whenever you see a woman on these franchises whose time is short lived, I think it is because they realize that they don't have the time, energy or inclination to do what it takes to become Bravo famous. Um, and then there are some women who are clearly made for it, who are like, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make this my career for mm-hmm. the next X number of years. I think we see that with some of the New Jersey ladies. Uh, we definitely see that with some of the New York women. And, you know, in, in Beverly Hills, you know, I think the the thing that separates Beverly Hills from some of the other franchises is... um that many of them have careers beyond being a housewife and they have money beyond being a housewife. A lot of the others, their wealth is constructed, but like LVP is genuinely wealthy. Um, from what I can tell, she may well also be bankrupt secretly behind the scenes. Cause the other day I drove by Villa Blanca and <laughs> it, cause I live in LA most of the time and it was closed. And I, you mean, about right. yeah, <laughs> right. and I mean, closed, closed, like yeah. the building is for lease and so on. So, 
you know, and also like when you look at some of the other LA women, um, Dorit, Dorit, mm-hmm. Dorit, um, you know, we know questions. that their money is funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Mel- T- Teddy Mellencamp, her money is inherited and so on. So, I, you know, I think some of the housewives are willing to play that game and um, and sort of stay in that and some are not. What's your experience in thinking about uh, housewives, shame and guilty pleasures? I feel not one ounce of shame about what I watch on television. I embrace Amen. it. I don't think... It's anything to feel guilty about. People watch all kinds of things across a range of import. And Mm -hmm. what's important to me may not be important to the person next to me, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel the need to diminish my interests to make other people feel comfortable. Do you think that housewives could ever exist with house husbands? How important is the idea of this being specifically told through the lens of? womanhood i think it's incredibly important pretty much all of media throughout time has focused on men and so even though there are plenty of things that we could talk about with regards to the representation of women and plenty of things to critique this is a show about women and it's awesome i don't give a damn about husbands honestly (laughs) I don't really need to see any of that. It's an interesting dynamic when you think about the ways in which husbands as characters, as individual characters, not full-time representatives of the show, stars of the show, cast members even of the show, are important on a franchise like New Jersey. And then there are other franchises, you know, Rest in Peace Dallas, where, hopefully, spiritually at least, where... There could be a conversation about a person's marriage or dynamic always seen through the lens of this woman's story. And yet these men are underutilized, which on one hand, it could the the franchise could use some plot. On the other hand, this is an opportunity to recenter and refocus the idea of housewives, at least in this specific city, around women and women's stories. You know, you kind of lose that. Yeah, I think the men are superfluous. I'll be honest. I think that in New Jersey, the way that they have inserted themselves into the narrative is typical. Like they just can't handle not being the center of attention, especially uh, Joe, Joe Gorga. My God, sir, get a job. Truly. Go find something to do with yourself. Go get a friend. This (laughs) is not for you. Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess. N'est-ce pas, Luan? <laughs> and while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, That's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. 
It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Crismanzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options, and it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorenda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code Andy's Girls at checkout. 
That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDYSGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash andysgirls. Sign up today.
you know, there are so many different kinds of episodes that exist on EG, ones where we're like hyper and losing our minds and laughing our asses off and ones that feel like, sure, there's that too, but an awful lot of meaning attached to what's discussed. And it was a lot of fun to listen to an older episode with one of my absolute favorite people, Matt Rogers, who I asked to come on as a result of my fandom of his podcast, Lost Culturistas. Um, he's also obviously an incredible actor and performer, singer. If you haven't listened to his Christmas album, you're really missing out. He invited me to... Um, the taping for his Showtime Christmas special. And it was literally one of the best nights of my life, as was attending uh, Las Culturistas Live, the Culture Awards. Um, And so having Matt on EG was just honestly, selfishly for me, an experience and a chance to talk all things Housewives with him and just have a sassy sassy chat. And I'm so thankful he's guested on a number of um, episodes in the many episodes since. But in thinking about what kind of conversation to highlight, I knew that I wanted Matt to be included in this clip, clip, clip um, collaboration. (laughs) Spectacular. And it seemed like we spent a lot of time talking about Beverly Hills. And how could you not? And in light of what's happening on Beverly Hills, the ongoing conversation about the Fox Force 5, may its memory not be a blessing, and also Kyle, who I know is a little bit of a trigger point for people. This was um, our take on what it was that we were watching at that point from AG342. So when exactly is one single individual in this Fox Force whatever going to own up to a thing? Or allow one of them, one of their, so, so we're living in a world where everything they do is right because there's an excuse for everything. It's not good. It doesn't make sense. And then we watch scenes like this week where they talk about how Sutton is a mean girl bully. With what army? I mean. With, with who? Literal hours after she was called a cunt and cried where her tears are considered suspect. They By the say way, that real she tears. Is the bad per- I mean, period. Absolutely. They say that she's the bad one, but she's okay in group settings. And it's like, how are you guys in group settings? That, that is literally, individual. that's the biggest gaslighting I've ever heard because the way mean girls behave, we've seen it over the years, is they amass people that follow them and conspire to target one person, which is what you guys have been doing. You've been doing that. And you gaslight people into thinking that they're a loser. That's what, that's what mean girls do. And who are the people that they've accused of being that? Last year, Dorit called Garcelle a bully, which is, which is a, you know, that's a word that when you put onto someone like, you say mean girl. Mm. They tried to make Crystal seem like she was a mean girl and like someone who moved in gr- social groups like this and like tried to like with, you know, with the 14 girlfriends of it mm-hmm. all, like they tried to paint her with that brush. And now they're saying it about Sutton. I have news for you. These are not the women in quote unquote power in this group or with the privilege of alliance members. You are. You are doing this thing. So what do you do noting that the uh, reunion is being filmed tomorrow? We're recording this on Thursday. What do you do if you're Andy? What's the reset here if there is one? Or are you just engaging in a narrative that to many of us feels false? I think Andy 
who I've now met several times mm -hmm. and I adore, needs to go harder on his faves. Do you I think, think he has he's capacity got a, too? I hope so. Yeah. I think he's got to turn to Kyle and I think we have to have like, I think we need a reckoning for Kyle. I think Kyle should want, I think it's not a success unless Kyle leaves the reunion feeling like, broken. I want to quit. Mm. She needs to have a tough reunion or else the literal edit doesn't make sense. She needs to answer for the fact that like, someone will be like, Kyle, please. I don't want to talk about this right now, please. And then she turns around and says, and, and lights the match. Right. She needs to answer for that. It has happened numerous times. Like, 1.5 times an episode. She has to answer for it. Because guess what? It's not unclear. We don't really need to dig in anymore with Erica. You know what I mean? Like, we don't need another big episode with Erica, which is like, explain to us how you feel. She has told us. Multiple we, times. We need to get to the middle of this Kyle thing. Like, because it, that's what it is. Dorit is secondary to that, but Dorit is also a follower. Kyle is the leader and the protagonist of this show. The reason why the show is in the state that it's in is because of the way Kyle prefers to do things. And I don't want to feel this way about her. Like, I like watching the show when I'm watching it and I say, I'm Kyle. I, we need to be able to watch it and say, we are all Kyle. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yet I've heard from so many people who are like, now you see what we've already, what we've always felt. And I'm like, well, I don't have a response to that, except I don't, I, I don't, I haven't had that experience. So now I feel like, am I catching up or has this person changed? Kyle, I think, and not everyone agrees with me on this, but Kyle has an it factor in a way where it's like, you get why, and a lot of mean girls have this. You understand why they've made it so far. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, she is so funny. Mm -hmm. She's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. She is a lot of fun. She probably talks really good shit. She looks people right in their eyes. When you were going through something, she's crying alongside you. She's extremely empathetic. She is a lot of fun. Camille has been saying it from the beginning. Even when she hated her at that season one reunion, she, Camille even said, you know, the thing about Kyle is you, you, she is the girl that you want to sit next to at the party. Mm. She's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And because that's all true, like, I think that there are certain members of the viewing audience, I think probably you and I are among them, that give her the benefit of the doubt a yes. lot because we enjoy watching her. Yes, and because, as you said, we empathize with her. We might see ourselves a little bit in her. Yeah, and she is the center of this atmosphere. And I think that many times she has been um, a sympathetic figure because I think we also... A lot of people that watch the show may know what it's like to deal with a very chaotic person in your life, which was Kim. And I think that, you know, I think that she earned a lot of goodwill from seeming like the person in that relationship with her sister that, like, had really been long-suffering. Mm -hmm. But remember, this is also an edited television show with the purpose of entertaining us and telling a story that they decide we're seeing. So it's just interesting now. That, like, all those characters that served as foils for Kyle are now gone. And her only foils are, like, abject awful. And 
she still is playing the same game she's always played with like the teams of it all and it doesn't look right so i guess my question is like kyle who actually are you who are you outside of deciding who you can and cannot defend you know what i mean like what yeah. what is it how do you feel about this and and if you do feel this way can you tell someone how you feel we've seen her do it before and that makes me feel like maybe she's just tired and that's why when she finally did do it last night it seemed so fucking crazy well i feel like a part of it too is that regardless of how we feel about how her behavior and how it's magnified this season you now have kathy in the mix who was seen last season as a huge fan favorite came back friend of after whatever negotiation took place and is now calling out Kyle's behavior. Kyle, who for a segment of the audience was seen as the voice of the audience, is now being told in real time by her older sister yeah. that her behavior is bullshit and, and trying to control that behavior. In the middle of these hot moments, Kyle, don't swear. Yeah, That was tough because you're watching a woman yeah. who's supposedly leading this show being put in her place by mm -hmm. her older sister who has con uh, ultimate control in their dynamics. And I feel like what we're watching Kyle do now is to reshift that. Like, I still have control on this show. I'm not going to promote the tequila. I'm not going to do the things that are seen as like... Um, you don't even necessarily think of what she has done with Mauricio and the agency. You don't really think so much about Rena Rose's 18 launches that we've seen take place. Kathy's holding up a bottle of tequila being like, Nikki and her husband are investors and Kyle won't allow it to happen because this is the control that she has in their relationship. It's through the lens of the show. But what happens when the show is no longer on your side and now maybe nor is your sister? What does that do to the power, to the dynamics of their relationship? Uh, here's what I'll say. It is, I don't know if it's obvious to Kyle the ways that she's doing this. I, I think she might think she's like, oh, Kathy, and negging Kathy in the way that she maybe like did last year. Like, oh, look at my sister. She's such a fool. Kathy, come on. Like, oh, isn't she silly? I think she's playing this game of like, isn't Kathy silly? And Kathy may actually be trying to show a different side of herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're not on the same page about the dynamic. Because yeah. I actually think you're right that probably what happens in their actual dynamic is Kathy makes a decision about what's happening and that's what's happening. Like when Kathy with um i think it was nikki's wedding a few years ago was like only invited half kyle's family mm. like think about that that's a move this is like someone who is extremely triggered by her older sisters and like way more vulnerable and sensitive to what they say and do i mean let's all think about our own siblings you know what I mean? There's mm -hmm. dynamics from childhood that remain in your psyche as an adult and cause you, it's like with a parent, any family member, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like when you go home for the holidays or whatever, and you hear in your voice that you're sounding 15 again. You know what I mean? And you're like, what is that? It's because things trigger things. And so they stumbled into an edited dynamic, which was Kyle going, oh, Kathy, you're so silly. And Kathy being like, hunky-dory. <laughs> and now it's, 
different. Maybe Kathy wants to reveal another side of herself, and Kyle's on this weird struggle trying to maintain all the dynamics and produce, and she looks crazy. And then Kathy says something like, don't swear. And so in this next episode, when they all buy fucking Kendall Jenner's tequila instead of Kathy's, and Kathy gets pissed off about it, it will all seem so dumb to us, and it will seem so blown out of proportion, I can predict, Mm -hmm. but to them, it's going to be an extremely big deal. And that's kind of what I want to see on Housewives. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This stupid shit that exposes real things. Not this like, like engineered alliance driven, like stupid bullshit over dark stuff that like promotes hate online. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like what's happening with the tequila wars? Give me that. Give me that. Now, there are, you know, all those conversations on AG, so full of meaning, so full of depth, hopefully. That's the goal, at least. And then there are moments where I just say, Louis Peitzman, you and I need to yell about Bethany and Carol during the height, the peak of that finale season of Bethany versus Carol. I found myself in this possibly odd position for those who are OGs of the AG um, and have been around or have caught up since the episode began. I was certainly a very, very, very big Bethany fan, a super fan. I have Bethany merch still in my apartment from well before anything, like a, a, a hoodie that says, or a sweatshirt rather, crew neck sweatshirt that says like zero fucks in cursive that I think she probably sold for a minute until she moved on to something else. Um, but I was a longtime Bethany fan, you know, purchased all her episodes of Bethany getting married, Bethany ever after, because I needed them for iTunes. God forbid something happens. There's the apocalypse. How am I going to access Bethany Frankel's spinoff? Uh, And then I found myself in a different position, evolving away from that and finding that this person who I'd loved for so long (laughs) is now quickly becoming a housewife's trigger. Um, I knew at this point that Lewis had a different take of what it was that we were watching um, during the the height of Bethany v. Carol. I found myself um, pretty heavily on Team Carol, Lewis on Team Bethany. And this was uh, at the point that this was recorded, episode 74 was recorded, This was, to that point, um, the longest episode of AG that we had recorded. I think it was around around two hours long, just of us yelling at each other in uh, my bedroom. So... This is just kind of a look back. All the different energies in the world. If there was an AG mood ring, it itself would be confused as to <laughs> what the mood of the podcast could be. But this was an awful lot of fun. And Lewis was a very, very, very good sport. So listen to a little bit of that conversation from episode 74. It was so performative, the whole thing of how she was like trying to age herself down and trying to act like this much cooler, hipper, younger version of herself. I hated watching that. It felt very artificial. So for Beth to call her on that and her to act like Bethany was crazy was more of her gaslighting bullshit that went on for the entire season. I'm sorry. Are you saying Carol is the one? That- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Abs- okay. Can I, can I quote Carol here telling Bethany it's not that deep when it clearly was that deep? Okay. Do you, wait, here, wait, let me, okay. you- <laughs> are you like losing it? Wait, here, I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Guys. I'll, give you one I'll give you one, one shot in, in Bethany's direction. Okay. The one thing I will say that I agree with Carol on is the thing with Adam and Bethany 
Bethany was wrong about that. 100% she was. Here's why she was wrong. Okay. She acted like Adam didn't want to do a charity thing he without was, pay. Yeah. When actually what Bethany wanted was someone to help her brand her charity by taking photos of her doing charitable and work. And not getting paid. And not get pay, not pay them for that, which right. is bullshit. Right. Adam should have been paid for that. It wasn't that he wasn't willing to like donate money to Puerto Rico. It was that he didn't want to like take vanity like be part of bethany's vanity project and i think that her puerto rico work is real but obviously it's also part of her brand so what do you think about bethany totally agree with you what do you think about bethany saying over and over again like carol seems really sad this season while she knows that cameras are on her you don't think that's about like gaslighting and trying to edit that's not that's not gaslighting that's just like being a housewife i'm saying like she didn't say to her face like she's not telling i mean i think carol was sad this season by the way I think she missed Adam. I think she was like losing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think hanging out with Tinsley all the time is very depressing. And that's not, I don't think that's, you know, that's gaslighting to say Carol yeah. seems sad. So you think that their friendship just broke up because of what? I think it broke up for a few reasons. I think I think Bethany was in the wrong with her Adam shit. Yeah. I think she handled that really badly. Uh-huh. And then she was like, he's a hanger on. To be fair, Adam was a hanger on who used the show to propel himself to whatever. Like, that was obviously what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't wrong about that, but she was wrong in how she handled it. And she was wrong to, like, imply that Adam was uncharitable mm-hmm. and to yell at Carol for that. Um, but I think they also just, like, grew apart and didn't like each other. They didn't need each other as much anymore. Or Carol definitely didn't need Bethany as much anymore. And I think Bethany's feelings were genuinely hurt and Carol was acting like there's nothing wrong. And, that, and Bethany- that's what that's what bothered me is that Carol kept acting like Bethany was imagining things. And that's what I mean when I say she was like all season, Carol was acting like Bethany was imagining this rift. What? You don't see that at all? I really don't. I see Carol constantly trying to understand Bethany and regroup with her and bethany was totally closed off and sharp and mean there was and judgmental there was oh my god they were both awful to each, like, they were both awful to each other there was never a version of that them getting back together as friends they were both i think carol i think at a certain point carol was over bethany being f- best friends with bethany 24 7 and bethany emoted more loudly how upset she was by their friendship disintegrating and that is what we watched i guess i just down. like i don't know i just found I, I i see what you're saying i think they they both made mistakes but i think that carol by the end i was so much more on bethany's side because carol was being so like carol's thing about like i can't deal with bethany crying and it's like a lot of housewives tears feel very fake to me but i think bethany's tears are genuine i totally agree with and you and i think that for carol to be like i can't deal with you when you're crying all the time is like not very nice i think someone that is that broken and doesn't seek real help and expects or demands sympathy for being in a vicious cycle of pain is a lot to ask of a friend. Okay, and I then, think why is, then why out. is Carol friends with Dorinda, who is way more broken? I mean, my goodness, can't talk about Bethany with also talking about Jill. Now, I have maybe taken a different kind of um, strategy or maybe have a different interest than I possibly should when it comes to housewives conversations. I don't chase them. Uh, I don't really look to housewives to guest um, on AG. There have been people who I've reached out to who have said yes, and i still need to schedule. And also um, people who I've thought to myself, is this really the time that this person should s- sit down? Are they really kind of open and able to have the kind of conversation that I would hope for, which is difficult, especially um, because the network often can be incredibly strict about um, 
any kind of media opportunity when seasons are going on. And then after a season ends, you know, that person is likely trying to figure out whether or not they're continuing with their franchise, which can make having certain open, honest conversations potentially difficult and understandably so, which is why I found in having conversations with housewives that the ideal um, housewife to kind of connect with was one who was no longer on the franchise. Now, when AG began back in the olden days, in the uh, era in which I was spiritually mid-20s and not spiritually mid-20s plus, um, Jill Zarin was one of the first housewives to sign on, and it was a total delight. I remember being so nervous uh, and so excited to talk with Jill, who I've um, connected with since and interviewed for the Daily Beast and attended the uh, Jill Zarin Luxury Lunch a few times to cover it and has always been so incredibly generous. But it was just so fascinating to talk to her about whether or not she had been fired or how to use that language and how she feels about negotiating with the cast um, for future seasons and how salaries work as a group or collective or individual or whatever else. And it's interesting to hear her thoughts as stated years ago in light of what we now know about legacy and the legacy legacy negotiate not maybe going as planned for the group, which has now spurned um, Ultimate Girls Trip legacy. And who knows if there will be future trips? Who knows if Jill will be on any of those? Um, so this is from episode 18, when Jill was on her phone, I think en route to take in a jet, I believe, to go to Florida. She was with her mom in the car and was so generous talking to us in the very, very early days, episode 18, about her experiences on New York, her thoughts on the current cast, the difficulty of casting New York because of a lot of the chaos that was happening at that time on the show. Um, and so all thanks to Jill Zarin for this little chat. Let's take a listen. When you look back on it, I don't know if you left on your own terms or if you did it. I mean, you, in a perfect situation, how would have things sort of ended with your final reign on reality TV as sort of the OG of New York? Well, you know, I was kind of a wuss. I, I, okay, so Bobby and I were overheard at a restaurant and it ended up on page six that we were leaving the show. That Bobby and I, Bobby said to Jill, it was, it said, you know, Jill was, Bobby was overheard telling Jill we were at a restaurant, obviously the deep droppers, saying that they're leaving the show. So that, that, that was in the paper. And then after that, you know, we had been waiting to get our contracts uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. They kept, we kept on telling it's coming, it's coming. And I got ADD and I'm very impatient. And one night I was just very frustrated and Bobby and I had talked about taking a three-week trip to Europe that we wanted to take on the world. And we had to commit, you know what I mean? Because they were, it was like um, our date, you know, our time limit was literally up. Like we had to book it or we're not getting it. So I sent them an email in the middle of the night saying, I'm done. Like that, you know, I, I, I love you all, and it was a great one, but I'll leave the show. And I sent it to the producers and to Luann and to my friends on the show. Anyway, the next morning, it must have been like an ambient thing. And the next morning, I woke up knowing I sent that, and I just figured, oh, they won't believe me anyway, you know, and just let it ride, you know, let's see what happens. Well, they got it, and they were pissed, and they did not want me to quit. They wanted to fire me. So three weeks later, I believe that they probably would have made me an offer to stay, but because I did that, they officially fired me, which is so funny because it actually hurt my feelings, but I, I did it to myself, as I always do. Wait, why did you? You know, I self-sabotage myself. I've done it before. I think everybody does it sometimes. I self-sabotage myself. I did. So I, I really, 
you know, I had mixed feelings about coming back. I wanted to come back because of the fame and the being in the drama and being, you know, part of the group and, it, you know, being in the clique and the whole thing. Because I was getting along with everyone. Remember, I was good. I was I was best friends with with, with Luann and everything was good. The only one I had issues with maybe was Ramona, right. but that's what made the show good. Right. But I was good with Cindy and Alex even. I was good with, I was good with everyone. So I was actually, I came off that reunion clean, 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 clean. Um, and so, you know, they fired me because they were mad that I had the nerve to quit. So then I was in a catch 22. Do I tell America, oh no, I quit first. And then they fired me. Or does that sound like a lie? And mm-hmm. so I just went with like what they fired me. But, but, but the people on the show and my housewives, they know I quit because they have my email. You know, it was in August. So I, anyway, you know, it doesn't really matter. I left the show, whether I was quit or fired, it was, it was my time to leave. Why did you I needed to leave. I needed to go away with my husband and spend time with him. I went for three weeks to Europe and, um, we had the best time of our lives. Joe, why didn't you ask Andy? Like, cause you asked Andy, there's that video or that watch what happens live interview where you sort of say like, I didn't understand why you fired me. I think that you use that word, but why didn't you at that point sort of like turn the tables on him to say like, right. I wanted to leave and needed to get away from this? Because they did fire me ultimately. You know what I mean? Like they did call me up and say, we don't want you back. And yes, I could have said to him, what are you talking about? I sent you an email three weeks ago. I quit. But then I felt right. like it would have been like sour grapes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I don't care about being fired. It doesn't matter to me. It's semantics. I was leaving the show. Whether I was fired or quit, I couldn't come back anymore. It was also, they, it was a huge shock. I mean, it was a shock to the viewers, to yeah. lose you, to lose you alongside Alex, alongside Kelly. I mean, it was like a real, they took a real pivot in plot. I think after that for a couple seasons. Well, the, other, the interesting thing is that semantics wise, I really wasn't fired. My contract just wasn't picked up. Right. Like oh, they didn't right. cancel Got my it. contract. Got it. It just you wasn't know, that, renewed. That's yeah. really the truth. I mean, we all had a one year, year to year contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I'll what, tell you, you know what I, you know who I give a lot of credit to? Luann. I mean, the year after Luann was put down to house. Right. To a friend housewife. of. And that was and her best Rosalda year. was a full time housewife. Well, how do you think I would have felt? Oh, yeah. I would have like jumped out the window. I, I don't do well in situations like that where I'm valued at less than someone else that I started with that I would get paid less. I would not have done well. The inter- you know what? Give it to Luann. Now she's the queen. The interesting thing was, though, I remember being surprised when she got demoted, essentially, to a friend of. And I think that was her strongest season because she was so carefree. And then the season that followed with everything, I think they were on, I think it was St. Bart's when they were there. And she was, you know, the um, be cool, don't be all uncool. I mean, that was great. That was great well, TV. That, well, don't you see this? So their strategy worked. They said, right. if about you. Then, you have then to bring it. bring it. Right. And then if you bring it, then we'll reward you. So now the girls are not, they're not, all the shows, from what I understand, are not equal. Like some shows, they get paid a salary, whether they perform or not. In other words, they get paid to, to, to do. And then in some shows, and I don't know all of them, but I know New York, they get paid a per... Per episode? Per, they get paid per day, I think. And then they get paid for trips. So it's a very different formula for different shows. And I'm not really sure why it's not favorite nation. 
And you can't talk about Bethany and can't talk about Jill without talking about Kelly Clorn Ben Simone. Now, for Andy's Girls 300, we did AG Live, which was a live show in New York where I was joined by guest co-host Evan Ross Katz at Club Coming, this very small, amazing club downtown. Um, we FaceTimed with Carol, um, who did not know that FaceTime included video and was like, Sarah, why... <laughs> Why can the audience see me? And I said, Carol, because it's a FaceTime. So let's chat. Um, she was so generous to participate as Marge did as well. And then Kelly actually joined us on stage. Now, Kelly Horn-Benzimone showed up looking like a goddamn supermodel, which I know she is, but it was it, she really, truly took my breath away. She was like a glamazon in the back of the room. We called her on stage for um, her portion of the live show. And she was so, so funny and interesting and just full Kelly mode. And talking to Kelly about Scary Island, talking to Kelly about hashtag systematic bullying, Evan and I were just, I think both of us would agree, overwhelmed at points because it was just honestly so much fun. The audience certainly um, seemed to <laughs> enjoy it as well. And uh, AGs know that there is a, a, a sort of segment that began on AG that I really do primarily on the Patreon these days so that I can truly deep dive called Satchels of Gold. Their listener thoughts and feels, questions and concerns named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Clorn Ben Simone from Scary Island. So imagine my delight um, at this live show for AG300 asking Kelly Clorn Ben Simone for uh, her thoughts on a satchel of gold, which was sent by an AG, yes, whose name was Sarah, yes, who was also at the live show. I promise it wasn't me, although it was a great satchel to ask. So shout out to AG Sarah for such a great um, question to Kelly and to Kelly for her uh, openness in her response. It was a truly um, delightful episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's AG 300. And here is a peek at both the satchel and Kelly's response. In the history of Andy's Girls, Andy's Girls is a show all about the psychology behind the Real Housewives and shows on Bravo. Right. And there is a segment that we have um, where listeners send in their thoughts and feels, questions and concerns about housewives and episodes. And it's actually named in honor, as I say, I literally say on every episode in which a satchel is used, it's named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Kalorn Ben Simone. And they are, you know, they're sat they are satchels of gold. They're really um, thoughts and feels from AGs. And I actually have, what better time than the 300th episode of Andy's Girls but now to ask a satchel of gold to Her Holiness Kelly Clorn Ben Simone, it's from an AG who I think is here tonight. Her name is Sarah. She's Hi, Sarah. in New York City. It's not me. I just want to make that clear. I'm like Sarah. I know it's another Sarah. She's we like, are everywhere. Me. We are. Ever it's a Sarah with an H. She spells it properly. Anyway, so here's a, a satchel. I just want to get your thoughts on from Sarah, who says. If you were to participate in the legacy Real Housewives of New York with all of our old favorites, would you return more consciously strategic about your storyline? And what parts of your life and story did you not share in the past that you would want us to see now? So the idea of like the receipts and the thinking about, you know, the Simon of it all of like wanting, you know, like thinking more consciously, not to say less organic, but more organic to the reality that has become Real Housewives of New York? Would you be thinking more strategically about that? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. What is the point of going on a show like Real Housewives if you're going to be strategic? That is disingenuous to you guys as viewers. 
Why would I do that? One of the reasons that you guys like me so much is because I do whatever I want to do. And I am unapologetic. If she wants to run in front of a taxi cab in the streets of New York City, she's going to run in front of a taxi cab in the streets of New York City. True story. Do you still jog in front of traffic? I do, everywhere. I, it's an iconic... I'll never forget that scene. They were like going so fast. That's and I was canon. like, I was like, oh my God, this is like super fast. Like really fast. I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I love that. You know what it is though, is that for anyone that does exercise in New York City, uh huh. when you walk down the street, everyone's like on their phone, there's umbrellas. You there's, can't do you that when you're jogging in, in front in of cars. No, you can't be on your phone. There's like all I've these tried. different things. So yeah, I sidewalk. like to bike. I like to run in the bike lane. Well, now people are like are constantly like screaming and yelling at me profanities, like because I'm running in the bike lane. But like it's safe. It's a safe place for me. <laughs> it might not be for them though. <laughs> I think that's why they're getting in touch. <laughs> but I'm unapologetic. I'm running. It's oh, like 25 Kelly. minutes. It's like it's not. I'm just, you know. I'm like on and off. It's like they're not going to see me again. Not, I mean, more. I'm so glad that we saw you tonight because this has been oh my God. so wonderful. You guys are Who better? Us. Who better but Kelly Kalori Ben Simone to ring? I mean, this the satchels of I have to tell you, satchels of it is meaningful to me to have you but on you know stage for But you know what's so funny? I did not even come up with that. Who came up with it? That was Bethany. What? She said. You have satchels of gold. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't have satchels of gold. I did never said that. What context would we be talking about satchels of any she weighted metal? She was making metal? it seem like I, my shit doesn't stink and that I have so much money. It just comes pouring out of me and I don't care. I mean, I've been working since I'm 16 years old. Hello. I have three <laughs> degrees. I mean, I'm like... A hundred million in real estate. Oh, are you like... <laughs> like what? Well, I mean, I guess thanks to Bethany for so, her yeah, part in her. history. Yeah, I mean, that's her one. That's her line. That has nothing to do with me. There were a lot of things that she said that I would like. That we'd be in a conversation, you, and you'd say like, "Okay," you kind of repeat if there's something. Someone says that's something unusual, you kind of repeat it, and then they made it seem. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I never said that. So she would repeat back to you moments that she said happened that you did not have recall of and then set the stage for a scene that's sort of expanding on that narrative. Right. Yeah, that sounds like strategic reality TV. And to be honest with you, like, I don't have time to be strategic. You don't. I actually work for a living. <laughs> like, I have a real job. I was like, this is like supposed to be fun. Those apartments yeah. aren't going to sell themselves. No, at the time, <laughs> you guys have to remember when I was on... True story, but when I was when I was on Housewives, I yeah. was I was working for Page Six. I had a full time job at Page yeah. Six. I remember that. I remember that. I remember. Like I, remember I was that. like, I'm kind of busy working, so like, this is really fun. I'll hang out with Free you guys degree. for a second, but I gotta like go back to work. And then I had my kids were so young. See and Teddy. Is episode 500 a to-be-continued two-parter? You betcha. So stay tuned for more of episode 500 moments. These clip, clip, clips coming up soon. <laughs> 